This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to developing voices of color in the beauty industry. We are talking to estheticians, skin specialists, and business owners to uncover best skin practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillips. All right. Well, Taylor, here we are already on episode four. Yes. And I think today we wanted to talk about that traditional lens that the beauty industry tends to focus on when they're advertising or marketing. And that lens is just really kind of glorifying, again, the Eurocentric idea of beauty, white, thin, youthfulness, just talking about why it is that way. And then what can we do to change it? Yeah. How can we normalize seeing black and brown women and men on beauty advertisements? It's um, kind of crazy because I was at my internship yesterday and I was counseling one woman and she is, I would say she's half black, half Spanish. So she's multi-ethnic and she is on the bigger side. And she was talking about conventional beauty, like women who are conventionally beautiful. And she was saying, well, yeah, I think I'm pretty, but you know, I'm not as pretty as the women that are tall, lean with the long flowing hair. And she said it just like that. And I thought about (laughs) what we've been discussing and kind of just like, you know, the Eurocentric standard of beauty, like this woman who she believes she's beautiful But she said, well, you know, I'm not as beautiful as what other people say beautiful are. So that just kind of like threw me for a loop. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like because she's on the bigger side and um, mostly all of her family is skinny and lean. And then I mean, of course, we're doing a podcast, so no one really sees what I look like, but I'm pretty skinny and I'm pretty lean. And um, she looked at me. She was like, like you. And I was like, oh, okay. She was like, well, you're not conventionally beautiful because you don't have the long flowing hair, but you are skinny and lean. So that's beautiful. I was like, oh, wow. And I kind of just like, uh, what do I say here? (sighs) So it's still going on, people. It's still going on. Yeah. It made me think about the pressure that young girls feel to have to conform Um, And all all these studies and statistics that show, you know, how girls, when they reach that sort of like preteen age or early teens, where all of a sudden they just become so down on themselves, they become so self-conscious. And I think social media just continues to put out those images of things that are uh, and again, we go back to the white men that are programming <laughs> programming our data, right? Oh, anyway, just looking back, I, I did enjoy looking back in history to see previous generations, centuries ago, what was considered beautiful. It was women who were voluptuous. It was, mm-hmm. <laughs> now I know this is a podcast, but I can tell you that I'm a little bit on the larger size. <laughs> side. Mm-hmm. So it was women that were had more curvy figures and were more voluptuous. And I think that has to do with um, probably 
health, right? If you and wealth, I think yeah. there's a wealth stigma that sort of attaches to beauty. But if Definitely. centuries ago you were you were fortunate enough to have enough to eat and could afford to have extra pounds, it must have meant that you were wealthy enough to be able to afford more food. And that is kind of the opposite of what it is now. Yes. I would think, yeah. Denying themselves food. Have you had to deal with anyone who has like bulimia or I was just about or to, anorexia? Yes. Yesterday as well, which is absolutely crazy. I guess it was kind of in a way to prepare for this podcast today, but I had my last client of the day yesterday. She is um Caucasian. She how old is she? She's in her teens. Uh, she's Caucasian, um, but she's on a thicker side. So she has the wider hips. Um, she was talking about how she has dealt with anorexia in her family. And she said that all of her siblings, she has brothers and sisters that are older than her. She's the youngest. They've all dealt with eating disorders. Oh. And she said that it's not because being a big family Money can be tight sometimes, but she said, no, it's not because of that. It's just because we were all kind of picked on for being skinny. And they're all like teenagers. Like, I think the oldest is probably like my age, like 20 something, 26. It's just crazy how she was being picked on for being thick. She stopped eating. She, she said that she, before and after every meal, she would weigh herself. She wanted to stay within a certain weight and this was this all started when she was around 10 years old oh my goodness so this was like six years ago yeah yeah six years ago so and it's all because her friends and what she saw on social media and on tv were all skinny white girls you know just like just skinny so she thought something was wrong with her and then it doesn't help the fact that if you have your parents saying, oh, you're a little bit too big, or if you have doctors saying, oh, you're too big. And I think, and when I asked her, I said, so the doctor said you were too big? And she said, yeah, she said, I'm eating too much because I'm homeschooled and I, I don't get enough activity. And I was like, has it even gone to the point where doctors think that being a little bit bigger is unhealthy? When honestly, it's it's not. No, I, it I, reminds me of a conversation I had with um, with our medical collaborator here at the school. Mm -hmm. um, she's a nurse practitioner, and um, she's African-American. And she was talking to me about the white ideal of beauty and that the weight and height standards were set by white men. Mm -hmm. And there is no way that if she... Uh, was at the weight that they say that she should be for her height, she would be sickly. She would be right. so um, it, that it's a completely unattainable. Some of it is just completely unattainable images. Mm -hmm. And I think you said the word glorifying earlier or just now. It, that's what it is. Like people are glorifying. Like if you look at models, they're literal sticks. I think I saw like a documentary about Victoria's Secret models. They literally like starve themselves because that is what society has told them is beautiful for you to literally, I want to see your ribs. 
I want yeah. to see your hip bone. You know what I mean? And that makes other people who are genetically bigger just feel down on themselves like they're not beautiful. So it's yeah. a, it sucks. It really well, suck. I, I also was reading an article last week about, oh, she's an actress. I don't even know her name. She's got blonde hair and she's lost about 60 pounds in the last like year. Anyway, that no, that people are obsessed. She feels like the media is just obsessed with her weight loss, mm. um, and that nobody really cares about her her acting talent or her or brings up the fact um, that she's you know won awards and and has any other kind of talent. They're just obsessed. Rebel Wilson, that's who it is. Ah, okay, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, and she's lost about sixty pounds like just deciding during COVID that she was going to eat differently and get committed to some exercise. And so she feels like that she's just being hounded by the media and that, mm -hmm. and that makes me sad. Yeah. I think the same goes for Adele. Um, Adele is a singer for anyone who doesn't know. And she has always been a thicker white woman and I think it was a couple years ago, she put a picture out. She was cultural appropriating, but that's for another podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's not go down any rabbit holes today. <laughs> okay. But um, she was basically almost 100 pounds lighter, not lighter, but smaller than she was. And people were just so obsessed with her size. And just like Rebel Wilson, she just wanted to be healthier, but I didn't see anything wrong with it. But because she was always so big, um, it was just a, a huge thing But in the media. Well, and I think the media gets so focused. I've been watching the, um, I don't, that documentaries, docudrama series on Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton and how cruel how cruel the media was about her and her body shape. And mm -hmm. I don't think she's grossly, morbidly obese. You know, someone who's morbidly obese, whose health is impacted by their weight, but she just was not thin. And it was this idea that someone, a man in power, would even be attracted to her because she wasn't this ideal or this what our culture tells us is ideal. Mm -hmm. When do you see the LGBTQ community represented in, in ads that are, you know, marketing yeah. some type of beauty product? Or do you see handicapped people? Mm -hmm. Or, although I did, oh, I did read of a company that signed their first Down syndrome, a woman with Down syndrome to be a model. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think you did send me an article about um, they're starting to, what was it? Something with uh, skin health and with Down syndrome, with people with Down syndrome. Yes. I don't remember. Yeah. Yes. There's a new clinic in New York that uh, has just opened up that's specifically dealing with Down syndrome skincare. Because mm -hmm. their skin does, ha it tends to be really, really dry and cracked and it has a lot more 
incidents of like dermatitis and things. But I think that's that's awesome that they're starting to branch out and do things like that because it's not only, you know, the white, thin, European and also sexualized women and men that should be on beauty advertisements. It could be people of color, ones with disabilities, LGBTQ community, everyone. Yes. Grace Strobel, that's her name. She's a model that has Down syndrome. And then there's Mm. another one. Her name is Madeline Stewart. And it's, I think that it's affirming for, well, for those people and their families who I think sometimes feel maybe is, is feeling shame the right, the right word for feeling like you're not fitting in to feel ashamed of. Yeah, I think with like fear and doubt and all of those horrible words that kind of dampen your self-esteem, I think the underlying word is always going to be shame because it's always like, why not me? It's like, am I doing something wrong? So like when when um, others see beauty advertisements and they don't look like those women and men. It's always a, oh, what am I doing wrong? It's never a, what are they doing wrong? You know, we're always blaming ourselves like, oh, because they're advertising that, that's, that is what people see as beautiful. Since I don't look like that, I must be doing something wrong or my genes must be the wrong type of genes. It's honestly just, it's crazy. I think what the media should be kind of uplifting everyone. And I think it's starting, well, it's starting to be better, but I think it's always done the opposite. Instead of uplifting, it's defeating a huge population. I do think there are companies that are trying to change, or maybe it's not the companies. I think that as women move into more leadership positions in those kinds of beauty companies, so that they're not just solely managed by white middle-aged men, mm-hmm. I think that they have a, they can have a particular awareness or more of a sensitization about trying to be more inclusive. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the only, not the only, but the one thing that pops to my mind is Fenty Beauty by Rihanna. I think she just changed the entire game. And you could easily say, oh, she's black. So she's going to represent, you know, brown and black men and women. Uh, because it's been so underrepresented, underrepresented, I can't say that word, but no, if you see Fenty Beauty, if you see the website, if you see all the advertisements, it's, it's the spec, it's the whole spectrum. It's It's the whole spectrum. Yes. It's, and it's beautiful and it's women and men of all shapes and sizes as well. Not just of all skin tones, but all shapes and sizes, sizes. And I think that is just, that's what we need to see. But why does it take someone like Rihanna to to do that? If she had released Fenty Beauty without already being a celebrity, exactly. would it have caught on? Or, mm-hmm. or would it have been like ridiculed? Like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. I do think that a part of it is because she's Rihanna, but at the same time, thank you because, geez, someone needs to get it out there. But... uh. I wonder, I do wonder if there were entrepreneurs before her that did the same thing, but just weren't noticed. So, But Madam C.J. Walker, 
she was the first black woman. She was the first, she was ahead of Oprah, uh, Mm -hmm. becoming a millionaire in the early 1900s by marketing to black women, uh, particularly with hair care things, and then some beauty products. And she was a, I mean, she was a powerhouse. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I do remember doing a history project on her back in grade school. That's all I got. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, when I was doing research for for the Fearless Beauty's book, that's where I first stumbled on her Mm -hmm. and was like, oh, my gosh. But this is, I'm going to, it's going to be a tiny rabbit hole. But this, is she mentioned in the current aesthetic textbooks? No. Oh, her contribution yeah. is not there. And that's where, again, there's a hole in education. You're right about that. Yeah. And I think the it's always a why, like, why isn't it? And I think we could also ask, I think you mentioned, I think in every podcast so far this season, you've mentioned that the huge beauty companies are run by white men. Yes. Um, so I think we could ask, why is the beauty industry still underlined by the tendency to want to please those men or society rather than please ourselves? Um, yes. Is it money? No, I think I it start. I think it starts Taylor with those those gender stereotypes that you learn mm-hmm. just as a child. Girls yeah. are learning to please the boys. Girls yeah, are learning to. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I was just thinking that um, I don't think this is a rabbit hole, but uh, of course, my daughter is two and she's in the terrible twos and she is absolutely driving me insane. She doesn't listen to a word I say. Uh, <laughs> but when her dad came to town, it was nothing. She was like, Lauren, sit down. And she sat down and it was Lauren did that because she wants to please him. And I'm just yes. like, what the heck? Like, I have to tell her 10 times to sit down, but you tell her once, and she's like, I want to do whatever dad says. I want to make him happy. I'm like, huh. So, uh, yeah, I think it has something to do with just wanting to to please them, or it's kind of like an authority. I think we're taught generations to just, I guess men have always been the authority figure, I guess. Am I going... Am I saying it right? Well, you know, I I just finished reading this book uh, called Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu, D-U-F-U. And um, she talks about, it was such a good book, but she talks about how as a child she learned from her mother, who learned from her mother, who learned from her mother, right? That the women, these these roles where the woman is going to take care of everything domestic in the house. But now also women are going to have it all because they're going to be working full time and they're going to have children and be, you know, mothers. And so she's got a full-time executive job working as a corporate fundraiser where she's bringing in like million dollar contracts. She gets UPS to donate a million dollars to this organization that she works for. She gets all these big corporate donors 
So she's working this high-level job, but at home, she's the one that does all the shopping, all the cooking, mm-hmm. all of the household management of absolutely everything. Her husband has a high-level job as well, but he goes to work and then he comes home and he sits on the couch and watches the game. Yeah, And she's the one who's, she talks about her first day at work after maternity leave, she comes back and she's still breastfeeding, but they told her that she could pump during the day, but she doesn't have time to pump and her breasts are engorged and she's leaking milk everywhere. And she just starts bawling, crying with like, how am I going to manage being this perfect mother, this perfect wife, this perfect employee and do all this stuff. And it's, she finally realizes that it's pressure that she's put on herself to be perfect because of society, because of our yeah. culture's expectation of how women are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, and she tells some really hilarious stories about when she, so she's called drop the ball because she intentionally starts dropping the ball at home so that her <laughs> husband will pick it up. Mm-hmm. And she realized some of the things are, she's just never asked him to do things. Right. And so learning, women learning to use their voice to say what they need and to ask for help rather than feeling like you have to do it all. Mm -hmm. So basically saying that it's up to us to to change the trajectory of women doing it all and men just working and coming home. Yes. Yeah. But I think that women have to do that in terms of like beauty too. We have to like stand up and collectively as women, no matter what our skin color, but our age, our body type, our our social economic status, and right. really... Like vouch for ourselves. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Vouch for ourselves and mm-hmm. teach it to the next generation. Keep it going because once we do that, then it will become, it will be on media, it will be on TV shows, it will be on everything. And I think that's when the younger generation will say, oh, this is normal. Like this is normal to see like those movies now where the woman is the the executive. And then some some movies you see where there's a stay at home dad, like let's normalize that too. Yes. you will start to see stuff like that and it won't be so new or like weird or awkward. No, it'll just be normal. But I think that this is another thing that our culture has done is that if you do if you do see a movie where the woman is like the executive, she's always got like some type of personality flaw. Right. She's just a, she's just a bitch, right? right. Or she can't right? Uh I think about Meryl Streep in her uh oh Devil Wears Prada? Devil Wears Prada, right? Yeah. Or yeah. or even Viola Davis where she's in that How to Get Away with Murder? How to Get Away with Murder, right? Mm-hmm. They're in these powerful positions but they their personal life is just a uh, yeah, shatters. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to change that culture too. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, there's a mental health component. You just kind of have to, because it's all stemmed from, it's generational. So I think it's kind of, you have to 
normalize women being strong, having good mental health and being successful. Like you don't have to, like you said, be a bitch and be be successful. Now, when you grew up, was your mom the one that did everything? Oh, yeah. Um, My dad, he worked, but Mm -hmm. my mom was a stay at home. Well, actually, my mom worked until I was in like fifth grade. And then my mom and dad decided that my mom would stay home and um, be a stay at home mom until she started working again, I would say like three years ago. So it's, it's been a while. But my basically my whole life, I saw my dad make the money and my mom just took care of us, like did everything. But was her mental health good? No, no, it was not. It was not. So you kind of have to think about it. Like us women, we do it because we feel like we have to. And we have to, like I said, vouch for ourselves and say like, okay, I'll, I'll stay at home, but I also want to, you know, make do my own business. I want to uh, volunteer. I want to do other things. Like you don't just have to stay home and take care of the kids. And I think you see that now. You see it a lot now, especially since COVID, where these stay-at-home moms, they have businesses, Etsy yes. shops. They have it all because it's now being normalized that, no, I don't just have to stay at home and take care of the kids and do the housework. I can be my own boss too. And um, yeah, you're starting to see that a lot. You are starting to see yeah, that Yeah, I think that COVID has shifted things um, so that there's just more, people are thinking out of the box and there's no, there's more ways to do things and manage it. But basically like how can we promote more diversity in the beauty industry? I think it's just like we mentioned, vouching for ourselves and normalizing it. And um, just seeing us all as beautiful. And and women supporting women, right? Women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Coming forward and just supporting each other. Yeah. And I think it's great to also have those men like uh, Ralph Cole, our fearless beauty oh, ambassador. Yes. He talks a lot about men supporting women. And I just think that's just like absolutely incredible. Um, I just love that. So, yeah, it's it's that too. Mm-hmm. Because if more husbands and more boyfriends would be like, you know what, babe? You don't have to stay home, take care of the kids, uh, do the housework, and that's it. If you want to, you can. But when I come home, I'm going to help you too. And I think we have to normalize that as well. Like, uh, there's kind of, it's not a go to work and come home and that's it type of thing for men. I think they can take some of the pressure off of women as well. So it's yeah. kind of the it's kind of the women supporting women and men supporting women as well. And then I think the next generation seeing having kids grow up with equally invested parents. Mhm. I think will make a huge change. Definitely. So um I think we talked about how we can promote more diversity in the beauty industry. Um, but let's talk about the future. Like what, well, not really the future, but what, what progress do you think has been made in the last 20 years in the right direction? Well, honestly, I think there's been a lot. A 20 In 20 years time, I think that our country has really made a shift, particularly in accepting 
LGBTQ. I mm-hmm. think that it's probably been really since about George Floyd that oh yeah people have or or um, Breonna Taylor mm-hmm. that wake up right that wake up of like there really is racial discrimination. Right. And so I think that that has shifted. And I think that there is some pressure as companies feel almost the political pressure to to become more diverse. There's just a lot more, a lot more people speaking up about it. Yeah, there's like a, it's a fire lit up underneath yes. their ass. Isn't that the term? I don't know. <laughs> but there's been a fire there's been <laughs> there's been a fire lit. They're like, oh, we have to do something. Like, this is a problem. Yes. Yeah, it, it's definitely a problem. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think there's there's definitely definitely been a change in the LGBTQ community. Um, unfortunately, it takes a lot of um, difficulty and discrimination and marginalization for, you know success in that area to happen but it's happening um and i definitely definitely see the lgbtq people um being recognized in the media and advertising in a positive way i see that now a lot i think fearless beauties has done a great job where we have talked more about transgender skin yes i think a lot of our supporters love to hear about that so, um, cause it's a, it's a huge community. I think, um, where you are, isn't it a huge community? Oh, it's huge in the Portland area. Absolutely. Yeah. And where I live in Orlando, it's huge too. So when there are companies that do have, like, I think they, ha- uh, there's a company, mm, doesn't somebody have their first transgender model? Yeah. Oh, who was it? There's the uh, first transgender model. And I think that that people applaud that. And then that will make other companies feel like, oh, yeah, we want to we wanna get on that. Right? They want to be a trendsetter. Yeah. Oh, man. And I remember when I was in Sephora one day and I saw it was a transgender model hanging up on the shelves. I don't, I don't think it was L'Oreal. I don't know why L'Oreal keeps coming to me, but I doubt it was L'Oreal. But it was it was just nice to see. But there's even like transgender, trans men and women um, at the top of, you know, political positions now. Yes. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So it's not just the beauty industry. It's all industries. And I think it's great. Yeah. I think that as that becomes normalized and as you see more... Um, People with handicaps. I even thinking. I'm thinking back to. Um, see now, I'm going to be dating myself. To the the deaf actress that was. Oh goodness sakes! I think that she was a trendsetter for even um, being deaf and then appearing regularly on a television show. So that it, mm-hmm. even though that show is really old, it. West Wing is what I'm thinking of. It becomes... I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to see that seeping into our culture, seeping into um, television shows and movies so that the person isn't just a 
you know, when they would have the token black person on a show. Yeah. So, so it needs to become normalized. So these people are not just kind of a stereotype caricature, but they Mm -hmm. are real people that have more depth to them. Exactly. I love the way you put that. Um, I don't think this is not who I was talking about, but Valentina Sampiao. She's uh, Victoria's Secret's first transgender model and the first transgender model to appear in Sports Illustrated swim oh, wow. sh- swimsuit issue. So that was in 2017. Oh, so see. Oh, 2020, actually. Oh, 2020. So never mind. 2020. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that as if we see our culture sort of shifting in that direction, and then people embrace it. Um, and don't make it feel like, oh, this is just like a one off, weird thing, but really embrace it. I think that we will definitely see a faster culture shift. Yeah. So I think we talked about, we talked about now we talked about the future, we talked about the past. Do you have anything else that you would like to talk about? Oh my. Well, I think we should save it for our next episode. Okay. So yeah, I think we basically hit all aspects of the traditional lens of the beauty industry and what we need to do to change it, what we need to do to continue to change it and normalize it for generations to come. And yeah, I think it's just about vouching for ourselves and just understanding that everyone is beautiful and there's no standard of beauty at all. Yeah. Feeling empowered and feeling like you've got to, you've got to stand up for yourself. Can I say that we have to be fearless, Mary? Okay. I like that. We have to be fearless beauties. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that kind of wraps up this episode. Um, Just to plug in our social medias, like I always do, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fearless Beauties and also fearlessbeauties.org. Yes. And you can find me at Taylor Budgets and Mary at your.etsy.godmother. Yeah. Yeah. Hit us up. Stalk us. Not really. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. Until next time, keep educating yourself, remember to stay open, and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host Taylor and our producers at Quill Inc.